to tell you a story. It's a story about six people who died violently in Germany in 1922. It's a story about an investigation that went on for decades, but never identified the perpetrator. It's a story that has become a legend. I want you to come with me into history, into the long, cold dark. at Hinterkaifeck. This episode contains descriptions of violence and violence against children. Listener discretion is advised. Before we begin, you should know that I've built a scale model of the Hinterkaifeck farm. Images are in the show notes. It'll be helpful to take a look at them to understand how the farm was laid out and where the people in this narrative are. In this episode, we'll walk through the timeline of events at Hinterkaifeck between early March 1922 and April 4th, the day the murders were discovered. The days leading up to the murders are difficult to recreate. This timeline was compiled from witness statements, and it's as accurate as I can make it. But as with so much about the Gruber's lives, there are gaps in the information. Sometime in early March of 1922, Andreas Gruber found a copy of a Munich newspaper on the farm property. He initially assumed that it had been delivered to him by mistake, but no one in the surrounding area subscribed to that paper. Munich was more than 40 miles away. That's a short drive now, but it was a world away in 1922. Around this time, Pastor Haas, who was the parish priest at Weidhofen, made a startling discovery of his own he found 700 gold marks placed in the church confessional. Haas, who said he knew the economic circumstances of his parishioners pretty well, believed that such a large amount of money could only have come from one of the Grubers. He asked Victoria to meet with him, and after some hesitation, she admitted that she had placed the money in the confessional as a donation to the church. Haas was either unable or unwilling to provide further information on Victoria's motive for this donation. Andreas and Victoria both told neighbors that they thought someone outside the family was hanging around Hinterkaifeck. There's no record of them suggesting that they knew who this person was or had any idea what he wanted. Andreas also told his neighbors that his house key had gone missing. Between the newspaper discovery and the murders, Andreas told some neighbors that he had seen footprints in the snow leading from the woods toward the machine shed, which had a broken lock. There were no return tracks. Around the same time, the family heard what sounded like footsteps in the farmhouse attic during the night, but a search of the property turned up no one. March 30th, 1922. Thursday. Lorenz Schlittenbauer and another neighbor, Kasper Stiegmeier, both had conversations with Andreas Gruber 
in which Andreas complained of a break-in attempt at the farm that morning. He said the machine shed had been broken into, but nothing was stolen. Andreas found traces of snow in the shed, which did not allow access into the main house. The lock on the shed had been broken for some time, and it was generally held closed with an improvised latch made out of wood. Caspar Stegmaier was so worried by this conversation that he asked his son-in-law, Jacob Siegel, to go home early on Thursday to make sure his own farm was secure. Whatever Andreas said to Stegmaier was frightening enough that it provoked anxiety about his own family's safety. At some point during the day, Andreas also told a local priest, August Reitzel, that he had found tracks in the snow at Hinterkaifeck. Old Gruber told me that there was a trail in the snow leading to his barn, but not back. Today I don't remember whether it was one or two tracks. Later in the evening, a fight broke out between either Andreas and Cecilia or Andreas and Victoria. Sophie Fuchs would remember it both ways years later. It's not clear who fought with Andreas, only that one of the women did. Cecilia, or Victoria, fled the farmhouse and disappeared. Andreas and Celie, with their dog, spent a good part of the night looking for her. They finally found her near dawn in the woods. Grandfather hit my mother, Celie is supposed to have told her classmates, and she left. At first we couldn't find her, and we thought she was dead. When day came, we found her sitting on a log in the woods. Sophie Fuchs stated in 1951 that the fight involved Victoria. When she was re-interviewed in 1982, she said that it was Cecilia who disappeared into the woods. In either case, Sophie was the same age as Celie in 1922. They were seven. While she was certainly of an age to remember important events, memory, especially the memory of children, is fallible. If Sophie was interviewed by police in 1922, no record of that interview survives. March 31st, 1922, Friday. Joseph Meyer delivered the local newspaper to Hinterkaifeck on Friday morning. He handed it directly to Andreas. Meyer did not report anything strange in Andreas' demeanor on Friday or anything out of the ordinary at Hinterkaifeck. Maria Baumgartner arrived at the farm around 5 p.m., escorted by her sister. This is the last confirmed sighting of the Gruber family alive. Sometime during this evening, the Grubers, Victoria and Celie, were lured or forced into the stable and murdered there. The suspected weapon was a mattock or pickaxe which belonged to the Grubers. Either before or after the murders in the stable, the killer or killers went into the house and used the same weapon to kill Joseph in his crib and Maria Baumgartner in her bedroom. The cause of death for all six victims was blunt force trauma to the head. April 1st, 1922, Saturday. Celie was marked missing from school. Her teacher asked the rest of the students to pray for Celie's health. She was sick often, and that meant that her absence from school was not initially remarkable. This may have delayed the discovery that something was badly wrong at Hinterkaifeck. Coffee sellers Hans and Edward Shirovsky arrived at Hinterkaifeck between noon and 2 p.m. to deliver an order for Victoria, but no one answered their knock. 
they noticed that the gate to the machine house was standing open. The Shirovskys went on their way. At some point later in the day, they spoke to Lorenz Schlittenbauer and Jacob Siegel. They mentioned that they had been to Hinterkaifeck and had not seen anyone there, but this wasn't enough to raise the alarm. At about 3 a.m., butcher Simon Reislander bicycled past Hinterkaifeck on his way home. He later said he saw two unknown men at the edge of the forest. When the men saw him, they turned away so he couldn't see their faces. They weren't close together. Simon described one as apparently waiting for the other. He was able to describe them reasonably well, and I'm going to quote from his description at length. When I rang the bicycle bell, one man quickly held a cap to the side of his face that was toward me, so that it seemed covered to me. He was a young lad. I estimate him to be 22 to 23 years old. He was about five foot six and slim. He wore a dark brown suit and long trousers. He had no overcoat. He had no luggage. The second guy passed me as quickly as he could. He turned his head to the side opposite me, so I couldn't see his face either. He was also about 22 or 23 years old. He was stocky and about five foot four. This man was wearing a gray-brown hat. I don't know the color of his suit. He wasn't wearing a coat, but he carried something on his back. I suspect it was a backpack, but I certainly don't know. Neither of them had a walking stick with them. I immediately assumed they had stolen something. It couldn't have been workers, because they were too well-dressed for that. I didn't know either of them. Michael Plokel, a carpenter, passed by the farm twice on April 1st, first at around 12.30 p.m., and again after dark. Plokel claimed that the door to the stone bakehouse, a baking structure exterior to the farmhouse in the courtyard, was closed when he passed by just after noon, but it was ajar when he returned in the evening, and the Gruber's dog was leashed to the bakehouse exterior. He noticed that there was smoke coming from the bakehouse, and described it as having a disgusting smell, as if old rags were being burned. Ploko claimed that someone, a rather large man, approached him, carrying a pocket lantern or flashlight, but the light was in his eyes, and he couldn't make out who the person was. The large man disappeared back into the bakehouse without saying anything. Plokel was disturbed enough to hurry away. April 2nd, 1922, Sunday. The Grubers failed to appear at church. Their absence was notable, especially since they were in the habit of not only attending on Sundays, but also on Wednesday mornings, whenever possible. Still, their absence didn't arouse any suspicion. April 3rd, 1922, Monday. Celie failed to attend school. As with her earlier absence and the whole family's absence from church on Sunday, no alarm was raised. Joseph Meyer made a mail delivery to Hinterkaifeck around 8.30 a.m. On that day, I saw no one from Hinterkaifeck. As usual, I put the newspaper in the kitchen window. The only thing that struck me was that I didn't see the stroller in the kitchen as usual. The kitchen door itself was half open. Meyer noted nothing else amiss and went on with his delivery route. The murders were discovered the next day. April 4th, 1922, Tuesday. Seely failed to attend school. 
Albert Hoffner arrived at Hinterkaifeck to make some repairs to the food chopper, which was stored in the machine shed. Hoffner found the machine shed locked, and he had to remove nails from the door in order to open it. He stated that he encountered no one, and he began his work after about an hour of waiting for Andreas or Victoria to appear. His work took between four and five hours, and then he returned to Groburn. Hoffner reported speaking with the daughters of Lorenz Schlittenbauer and George Greger, the mayor of Wangen, about his morning's work and the Gruber's absence. Hoffner wasn't interviewed about this until 1925, or if he was interviewed earlier, no record of it survives. He claimed that when he arrived at the farm, he could hear the family dog inside the house, but when he left after completing his work, the dog was tied up outside. This may suggest that someone was present at the farm on April 4th, but Hoffner never saw or spoke to them. Around 3.30 p.m., Lorenz Schlittenbauer sent his son Johann and his stepson Joseph to Hinterkaifeck to check on the Grubers. The boys found no one. After they returned home around 5 p.m., they told Schlittenbauer that they had not found anyone, but they heard something whimpering. Schlittenbauer took the boys and recruited two local men, Michael Pohl and Jacob Siegel, to investigate the situation at Hinterkaifeck. Siegel recalled that when Schlittenbauer came to him, he said, We have to take a look. Nothing is moving up there. Either they hung themselves or they killed each other. Siegel told Schlittenbauer that he wouldn't go to Hinterkaifeck alone and asked Pohl to accompany them. At the farm, the three men left the boys in the courtyard and first went into the barn, apparently without trying the house door. They found the barn door locked from the inside, and they had to break it open. Almost immediately, Schlittenbauer stumbled over something in the hay, which Pohl identified as a human foot. Schlittenbauer pulled on it, and the hay fell away, revealing the body of Andreas Gruber. Next to him was Celie, and beneath her lay the bodies of Victoria and Cecilia. The bodies were covered with hay, and an old barn door was laid over them. Schlittenbauer moved Celie's body so it was leaning against the wall. He told the other men that he was going into the house to look for Joseph. In the process of moving toward the house, Schlittenbauer encountered a cow that had either broken loose or had been released in the stable. He climbed over the stable bars into a feed trough to avoid the animal and he later claimed that he saw a pickaxe leaning against the trough. In the house, Schlittenbauer came upon the bodies of Joseph and Maria Baumgartner. As he told the story, he first went into the kitchen and from there into Victoria's bedroom. There I found my son, lying in the stroller, with his head shattered. I went into the little room facing the kitchen. There the blanket was on the floor. I lifted it and saw a female corpse lying under it. She was a stranger to me. Next to this body was a packed backpack. Schlittenbauer sent Pohl and Siegel to Groburn and his son Johann to Wangen to inform authorities of the murders. According to Schlittenbauer, in the meantime, several people from the area gathered. I did not allow anyone access to the living rooms of the house. In the end, I left the hay as it was spread on the corpses, except for what the loose cow had eaten away. Schlittenbauer left the property after George Greger, the mayor of Wangen, arrived at Hinterkaifeck with police officers. 
This, at least, is what Schlittenbauer claimed in his statements to police. However, his narrative contradicts Siegel and Pohl's testimony. According to Siegel, Schlittenbauer took charge immediately and led the men directly into the Gruber's barn. We didn't go to a front door or a window, as is common practice, to ask to be admitted. At Schlittenbauer's order, we went to the barn door from the yard. Siegel and Pohl went around to the front door while Schlittenbauer went through the house to let them in. Siegel testified that he, not Schlittenbauer, first found the body of Maria Baumgartner. The kitchen door was open and it gave me a look into the adjoining room. In there, I saw shod feet sticking out under a duvet. I immediately screamed for Schlittenbauer and said, hey Lorenz, someone is lying there too. They must have killed them there. Schlittenbauer came into the room at once, took off the cover and looked at the corpse. I saw that it was a woman. Both Siegel and Pohl took issue with Schlittenbauer moving the bodies and with his other behavior at the crime scene. Pohl and I told Schlittenbauer as soon as we found the corpses and he was busy with them, that he should leave them where they were. Schlittenbauer replied that he should look at them carefully. He said that I should climb up on the threshing floor and throw down hay so that the cattle could be fed immediately. But Pohl and I didn't take part anymore. We told Schlittenbauer that we would go home and report to the police. Schlittenbauer did not respond to my request to leave everything unchanged at the scene and to not feed the cattle before the police arrived. He got very busy. He went straight into the cellar, got milk, and fed the pigs with it. As Siegel and Pohl made their way back to town, they met Johann Freundel, the forester, and another unnamed man, who immediately turned and headed toward Hinterkaifeck. Freundel told authorities, we entered the Hinterkaifeck property through the front door, and today I don't remember exactly where we met Schlittenbauer. He showed us the dead in the barn. Then Schlittenbauer took us to the maid's room, where the maid Maria Baumgartner was lying on the floor. Then he led us into the bedroom and showed us the body of the little boy. As Schlittenbauer was showing Freundel the bodies, a crowd of locals began to gather at Hinterkaifeck. Schlittenbauer told the police, I did not allow anyone access to the living rooms or the house. Freundel contradicted this. I noticed Schlittenbauer's behavior at the crime scene because he let the curious in to destroy the existing evidence. At the time, I even asked him that the traces not be destroyed by these people. Schlittenbauer replied that the people were already there and he couldn't do anything about it. Schlittenbauer remained in the Hinterkaifeck farmhouse, variously alone and with others, until, until Chief Magistrate Johann Weissner arrived from Schrobenhausen to take over the scene. Schlittenbauer's behavior during the discovery of the bodies immediately aroused suspicion, casting him as the first suspect in the Hinterkaifeck murders. There is no agreement between sources on how much time Schlittenbauer spent alone at Hinterkaifeck after the discovery of the murders. Some claim he left after the police arrived, Others claim that he spent the night there. As the investigators did not actually arrive until the small hours of the morning, some combination of these accounts is probably correct. Schlittenbauer was likely present at Hinterkaifeck until the very early morning hours of April 5th. There are no surviving statements from anyone who may have been with him. Schlittenbauer's overnight presence at the farm, his insistence on moving the bodies, on feeding the livestock, and his refusal to bar entry to the scene before the arrival of police compromised the evidence and vastly complicated the investigation that followed.
Next time on Long Cold Dark, we'll learn about the investigation and all its complications. I'm C.S. Frank. Thanks for listening.